Welcome to The Rock Church, a vibrant, enthusiastic, edgy church meeting in West Bridgeford, Nottingham. You can find out more about us by visiting the-rock.org.uk. We hope you were blessed by this message. Awesome. So, we're going to get the man of God up to preach the word. So let's give a mighty Rock Church welcome to Joss Nicholas. Come on. Let me pray for you, Joss. Awesome. We want to pray for you. Stretch your hands out to this man of God. Father, we pray that what Joss has got to say tonight, Lord, is purely from you, Jesus. We pray that you would speak mightily through him, Holy Spirit, and that he'd speak the words of life that would completely transform beyond belief tonight, Lord Jesus. And your spirit would be evident and tongues of fire would come from this man, Lord, and empower us all to be closer to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Go for it, brother. Thanks, mate. Well, good evening. As you, as you just heard, Christian football is the nearest thing you can get to UFC and ultimate fighting. Uh, <laughs> there really should be a disclaimer. Um, it's pretty brutal. Um, it's all that pent-up aggression, I think, <laughs> among Christian men where they're just like, kick 10 bells out of each other. <laughs> Simon, far more interested in shoulder barging and wrestling something to the floor than actually kicking the football. <laughs> so I've been uh, given the task and the title of um, darkness and light. As we get nearer to Halloween and that sort of season, we're sort of aware, aren't we, that there is this darkness and sometimes it's trivialized Sometimes it's, um, it's talked about with uh, a lightness. But tonight I'm going to sort of get a bit heavy and a bit deep um, and sort of really explore what that looks like. What does the darkness look like? How does it rear its ugly head, if you like? Most of us, I think, are fairly uneasy in the dark. It's safe to say it's a natural reaction to the darkness, isn't it? That we uh, sort of are a bit nervous. If you can walk down an alleyway, in the light or walk down an alleyway in the dark we're all going to choose to walk down an alleyway in the light right um we use phrases like dark humor or that film was a bit dark and that generally means that you've got to have a sort of you know a blanket or something at the ready to pull it up at the opportune moment and the truth is our lives without god become dark darkness bizarrely isn't an element it's actually just the lack of light you ever thought of that you probably have but if you haven't it's it's not actually a thing you can't add darkness all you can do is remove light and so when the world gets dark it's the it's the silencing and the shadowing and the removal of god in society it's not anything being necessarily put in but actually just god's presence being in some way shadowed or cloaked and so we're going to use the bible tonight and the bible talks about itself saying that it's a a lamp to our feet and a light to our path or actually I think it's a light to our feet and a lamp. no it is that a lamp to our feet and a light to our path and so hopefully you all think the same about the Bible so we're going to whiz through bits of the Bible I've got some slides which may come up in the right order God willing um, but if they don't uh, apologies um, but essentially they're just so you can really know that I am actually quoting the Bible not just making it up um, <clears throat> And when I think about darkness, I think about three things. And this is what the, the church has sort of traditionally um, sort of taught on, if you like. And that's um, 
the sort of entry points of darkness. And that's the flesh, the world, and the devil. And I'm going to go through this fairly swiftly because I don't want to sort of spend forever on it. But the flesh, just to outline what that means. When, it, when we talk about the flesh, what does that mean? That means my own personal penchant for doing the wrong thing. <laughs> that sort of desire and inclination I have to get myself in, uh, in trouble, to do the wrong thing, those sort of desires I have. That's the flesh. That's my own, myself and I. Um, I had a, a, a revelation recently, and that was for all the real failings in my life, all the times that I've messed up, all the things that have gone horribly wrong, there was one common denominator. And that is that I was there for all of them. And uh, that, if you like, is the flesh. The Bible says, 1 James 13, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, gives birth to death. It's dark, isn't it? Sorry, this bit of this sort of message is going to be a bit dark for a while. But hold on. Hope comes. Um, But that's our biggest problem. Before we start with the world and the devil, actually our biggest problem is us. To quote Michael Jackson, we have to start with the man in the mirror. It's that whole thing. The next element of where we start to see the effects of darkness is the world. The world is a tricky thing. It panders to the flesh. That's its sort of strategy. It says, well, everyone else is doing it. It sort of wants to rewrite moral code and say, well, actually, maybe this is the right way. What the world wants to do is create distance between us and God. There's also another, uh, another reason, actually, and that is because none of us want to be in sin on our own. You know, think about that. You know, we always feel better if we know somebody else is up to the same nonsense, don't we? And so when the world shouts and screams about things and wants the church to agree with it, it's because they, we want to be affirmed in our sin, actually. The Bible says... For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes, and pride in possessions, that would come under consumerism, is not from the Father, but it's from the world. It's that thing when we look at influencers, crazy idea really when you look at half their lives, but those sorts of things, what's the things that are feeding our thought life? The TV we're watching, the music we're listening to, those sort of things which normalize certain behaviors. Um, You want to think about people like Cardi B winning Female Musician of the Year. Was it last year or something? I mean, you look at the lyrics of those things, you can't even repeat them in polite company. Um, The third thing, the devil. Now this is, what what I don't want you to come away from this message thinking is that we blame everything on the devil, because that would be silly. As I said, primarily, most my biggest problem's me, and your biggest problem's you. But we also mustn't disregard the work of the devil. It's real. He really is a real entity, a real spiritual entity. And he conspires and lies and thoughtfully tries to see you come to ruin. The Bible says, be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy... Everyone say, enemy. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. 
Friends, the devil isn't trying to hurt you. The devil is trying to destroy you. He isn't trying to make your life a little uncomfortable. He wants your soul to be lost for eternity. Let that sink in. He's not playing games. And here's the, here's the kicker. Sometimes, sometimes the devil can win your destruction by giving you everything you ever wanted. Right? The desires of our hearts. Sometimes he can be come as an angel of light, as I'll talk about later. The Bible says in John 13, the evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus. He'd already prompted him. You see, we get to there and we think, well, Judas has obviously suddenly lost it. He's lost the plot. What's happened to him? I don't know. He's suddenly gone off on one. But the devil has already been at work. He's already prompted him. He's already planted things in his mind and in his heart. He's a planner. He's a schemer. He's not stupid. Some things are not accidental Matthew 13 verse 25 says but while everyone was sleeping his enemy came and sowed weeds amongst the wheat and went away while everyone was sleeping wake up wake up church this enemy wants to come when we're asleep when we're not paying attention when we're not on the ramparts keeping watch. This is the enemy's schemes. They're real. Don't worry, I know we've got to, we're victorious. We're getting there. But the enemy's still real. He's a defeated foe, but a defeated foe can still be dangerous. And he comes and he sows weeds amongst us while we're sleeping. I love in 2 Corinthians, Paul says, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. The devil is crafty. He's a scumbag. Make no mistake. Halloween isn't just for laughs and giggles. There's stuff behind darkness which is working its way to try to bring about our destruction, our children's destruction, the destruction of our society as a whole. And it's dark and it's pervasive and it's evil. And often the devil's just reduced to like a little cartoon character, isn't he? It's like a little orange, little red guy, hawks and a hawky little spiky little trident thing and sort of a giggle. <laughs> but that's not the face of the devil. The devil can really be seen in all the malevolent evil things that happen around the world. There's a, uh, if anyone likes films, <clears throat> the Usual Suspects, great film. And a great quote from that, actually it's not original for that, but it's quoted there. It says, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he doesn't exist. For us to reduce him to just some um, anecdote, to just a, a, a bit of a fable. We don't want to give the devil more authority than he has. He's defeated, right? We know that. But he isn't without his schemes and plans, and he isn't without the intentions of trying to destroy us. He's looking to devour you. He's not looking 
just to give you a bad day. He's looking to see your eternity lost. And if you're not sure, if you're not sure about, well, are things really dark? Let's just have a quick think about things. Slavery. There are 50 million slaves in the world today. 50 million slaves. Just think about that for a moment. 50 million. In Africa alone, there are 10 million slaves today. We talk about the transatlantic slave trade and that sort of shocking era of slavery. But there are as many slaves in Africa today as through the entirety of the transatlantic slave trade. That should, that should upset you. That's evil. That's what it looks like. Darkness looks like the rich, the ridiculously rich. 1% having over half the world's wealth. 45% getting by on just 1% of the world's wealth. And us somewhere in the middle. <laughs> Corruption. I read a stat the other day. It was on a UN thing. Um, and uh, it said that it, it, every year, um, they do this polling on corruption and different uh, indices of corruption and um, <clears throat> and you sort of get you sort of we talk about it with our politicians and you sort of almost get um, you, you just don't really take I don't I suppose for granted how actually how good things are until you look at the other rest of the world and there was um, in the continent of Africa there was um, uh, 75 million estimation based on surveys in 28 different countries that there'd be 75 million bribes made in one year alone that's about the population in the UK almost had to bribe their way to get normal services abuse of power that's what darkness looks like abuse of power divorce has doubled in the last 50 years It has dropped over the last few. I thought that was maybe a good sign, but then I looked into marriage, and marriage is actually now at the lowest it's been, the rate of marriage, since records began in 1862. So not only are people divorced twice as much as they used to be, but they're actually getting married less. So a commitment to family, commitment to relationships, commitment to bringing up kids in homes, single-parent families on the rise. That's what darkness looks like. Abortion. What if I told you, what if I told you that 27,000 babies were aborted last year in the UK? Is that a mind-boggling number to you? It's a lot, right? Thing is, I wish I could tell you that. But that was actually the number in 1967 as the law was changed. As of 1968, it doubled over the next to over 50,000. By 1970, it doubled again to 100,000. To now, when we have year-on-year -year records, not the sort of records we want to hold, but last year, over 227,000 babies were aborted. Now listen, I realize we're all intelligent people. We realize sometimes there are very hard and very upsetting choices that have to be made. We get that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when it's an inconvenience and people lose their lives. That's darkness. That's bad. Suicide. Five to 6,000 people a year. Consumerism. 90 million tons 
just of waste from, from fast fashion every year. 90 million tonnes. It's mind-boggling, isn't it? In the UK, we throw, around, oh, throw away around 1 million tonnes of clothes a year. Crazy. The cost of keeping up. And that also involves modern slavery. Just down the road, in Leicester, wasn't it? Was it during lockdown in Leicester where, is it boho, boohoo, boho, whatever it is? Got raided and they had, they were paying people there, modern slavery essentially. People were being paid £3.50 an hour. How do you live on £3.50 an hour in this day and age? All because we want cheap clothes, because that's what matters. Pornography. Dark, disgusting, hateful thing. Often involves slavery. Here's something to shock you. The N, um, the M, uh, is it NPCC, National Protection of Children. Yeah, NPCC um, survey last year um, estimated that by the age of 14, 94% of children have seen what would be classed as hardcore pornography. That is darkness. That's what darkness looks like. Here's a quote from a government paper. Evidence submitted by a transgender trend. The rise of over 4,000 in referrals to the Tavistock Gender Identity Development Service over the past eight years of girls who develop gender dysphoria or or after puberty is historically unprecedented. And judging from reports and clusters, clusters of girls transitioning in schools, these figures represent the tip of the iceberg. This isn't a, uh, a pro or against um, sort of article. This is just um, some evidence submitted along with a paper to, to its own government website. 4,000% increase, and especially amongst girls. This advantage being taken of people in vulnerable positions, people can't even yet vote or drive and yet are being drugged and able to start on a journey which will lead to mutilation and other things. This is pervasive and it's, and it's damaging. It's damaging. You see, people are making decisions about their lives when they're in a confused state. They're going to have effects for the, their entire life. And it's dark. It's dark. And this stuff is now celebrated. The Bible says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Darkness is removing the light and making it obscured, making it not obvious. In 2 Corinthians, it says, And no wonder, for even Satan disguised himself as an angel of light. So it's no surprise that his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, to chorus of righteousness their end will correspond to their deeds. It gets so confusing sometimes to know right and wrong. Sometimes the, some things that we know are like, this is not, this doesn't fit right, doesn't feel right, doesn't feel like this is in line with the way God's made the world and yet it's presented sometimes as righteousness. And it gets incredibly confusing. That's the, the lies of the devil. He's called a father of lies. So if you weren't sure, hopefully you're convinced the world is a dark place. It's a dangerous place. Suicide, abortion, divorce, pornography, slavery, 
war crumbs we've got enough war going on haven't we at the moment and that's terrifying even in itself and the lie is that it doesn't matter what anyone does as long as it's not hurting anyone else well that's not true for Christians it does matter to us because you matter to us because we believe you're made by God and we want to see the best for you the best for us and everything you do actually does have some form of effect on other people the lie that you only live once and so do you do you it's not true these things do have an impact and we're not interested in the you only live once mantra we believe in living for eternity and we believe in people having an eternity with God that's what we want we want to see people in a relationship and an eternity with Jesus that's why these things matter this isn't about moral pride or arrogance not even slightly hey I could give you a list of all my mess ups it's long and rather and rather unsightly and pretty disgusting but I'm saved by grace because I put my trust in Jesus not because I'm morally good but I believe and I trust in Jesus as one who saves me it's dark but friends I want to talk about the light the Bible says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God he was with God in the beginning through him all things were made we're talking about Jesus here at the start of John without him nothing was made that has been made in him was life and that life was the light of mankind bum, bum, bum. the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it friends I've got good news there is darkness but there is a light and this light will not be and has not been overcome Jesus said while I'm in the world I am the light of the world <laughs> he then gives us the invitation he leads and shows a better way he leads consistently with a life that is perfect and honorable and good and he then says come join in come follow come walk with me Jesus said I am the light of the world in John 8 12 whoever walks with me will never walk in darkness what a great promise when we walk with Jesus we will never walk in darkness but friends notice the wording I was talking to a mate the other day and we were talking about um, life and Christian life and we said about you know that Jesus walks with us and I just felt a bit of a, a, a prang and I was like oh is that right and I sort of had to check myself I think I thought actually that's not right Jesus doesn't walk with me I walk with him because his ways are higher than my ways he leads me into pastures green right he leads me beside still waters he is the gate it's not him walking with me it's me choosing to walk with him that's what being a Christian means it means actually you're king I'm not and I know that you have my total best interests that you want me to have life and life to its fullness and so I'm going to trust that what you say is good and true that I can use your word as a compass as I think Simon said earlier as a, as a true north as to how to navigate my life and the good thing is that when Jesus said I'm the light he then said walk with me and as we started to walk with him he then started to allude to what was going to happen next and that was that the baton would be passed Jesus 
is the light of the world. He said, whilst I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. But that's because he wasn't going to be staying in the world. Who was going to be the light then? Us. The church. The baton was going to be passed. John 20 says, as the Father sent me, I am sending you. This is Jesus. As the Father sent me, I am sending you. In that same way. Just think about what that means. The Father sent Jesus to work miracles, to see people set free, to see people healed, to see the blind given sight. And in that same way, he then turns to us and says, hey, high five, off you go. Now I'm sending you. What an adventure. Does that not blow your mind? Blows my mind. Matthew 5, 16. I told you there'd be a lot of Bible verses. Sorry. <clears throat> Matthew 5, 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You see, church, as we start to emulate Jesus, as we walk with this light that's been given to us by him as he's passed this baton, we start to point the way to God. We are a light in the darkness. Cool, eh? That's why we're called Christians. We're little Christs. We are lights. We bring light into dark places. We are the salt and light. The verses are endless. I like this one in Philippians. This one used to be one of my favorite verses when I was a kid. <clears throat> so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault, in a warped and crooked generation. And it was this bit I liked. Then you'll shine among them like stars in the sky. That's how we should be. That when people look to the church, we shine like stars in the sky. How cool is that? Friends, one of the... One of the things about the world growing dark is that we get the opportunity to shine all the brighter. We get the opportunity, and as I say, and please hear this, this isn't out of some sort of moral one-upmanship. I don't mean that. We get to show the way of God. We get to show a better way to live, and we get to ultimately show that we need a saviour. You see, as people draw near the light, I don't know about you, but as I got near to Jesus and I came into his light, I started to realize my flaws even more. The closer I got to Jesus, the closer I get to his light, I start to see my imperfections all the clearer. Yeah? And so as we bring light to the world, it starts to allow people also to see that they are it have faults, imperfections, and in need of a savior. When we have no sin, when we have no darkness and light, when we have no rights and wrongs, we don't need a savior, do we? It's obvious. When everything goes, when there is nothing that's wrong or right, what do you need saving for? It's logic, isn't it? It's obvious. So how do we get there? How do we do it? How do we minutes how do we emulate this light what does it look like to be children of light here's a few quick thoughts of mine um the first thing is call out the devil's work quick just call it out you know when peter says to jesus and they're walking along jesus is like well you basically i'm about to go and get crucified and peter's like oh don't say that you know that's not a great idea i think it could be something much better how about the Hilton? And, um, and Jesus is like, get behind me, Satan, straight away. <laughs> and you always think, ooh, what the heck? Come on, Jesus, that's a bit harsh. That's your mate. 
Um, but he's straight there. He's on it. The moment something is a temptation or a leading away, he calls it out and says, that's not from God. That's from somewhere else. I also want to point out the language. He uses a strong language with somebody who was very close. And that's why I can talk frankly here. We're a church. I can talk frankly and openly as a community of God. Do I talk like this to somebody who's not a believer and not a faith outside? No. Because it'd be stupid. It'd be unwise. Jesus can talk like this to Peter because Peter's proximity and his closeness of relationship allows him to treat him very abruptly and harshly. It's like when your parents, then they can talk to you in a way and say, no, that's not right. This is the right way. With outsiders, we don't do that. We use wisdom. Relationship makes a difference in how we do things as well. Um, I don't know why I said that, but I just thought it was important to say. Um, anyway, the, um, the other thing is that we, we, we do attack arguments and ideas. Not people. Not people. God loves everyone. The end. Full stop. Period. Irrespective of whatever. It's never about, oh, well, there they do this. If it, that was the, if it ever mattered, I would have no chance of getting into heaven because I'm a sinner. And all I can ever bring to God is filthy rags, the Bible says, and it's totally true. But we do attack ideas and arguments. 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 to 5 says, For though we're in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, in fact, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought, and we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. That's the self, taking every thought of my own, all my own stupid, twisted, daft thoughts, taking them captive, make them submissive to Christ. That's me, that's the flesh. But we also, with the world, we destroy every argument and pretense that sets itself up against God. That's not arrogance, that's instruction. That's what living as a Christian life means. Why? Because God's holiness is important to God. If you're not sure, read the Bible. He, he defends his holiness pretty abruptly at times. And it's important because for, us, for the world to know that we need a savior. We need to know that God will defend his holiness and that we don't make the mark on our own. final point and that is how we carry this light I want to excite you with this actually this is quite cool I think so Jesus is talked about as the light of the world right but if we sort of have a little gallop through the Bible light and fire has always been associated with God and his presence look at when God spoke to Moses spoke out of a burning bush you look at how God's presence led the people of God. It was in a pillar of fire, this burning light. If you think about the, um, it's a good one. If you think about the temple, when the temple was consecrated, so David's idea, Solomon fulfilled it. They consecrate the temple. In other words, the grand opening of the temple, big old building, everyone's there, big shindig. And it says that fire came down from heaven and consumed what was on the altar. 
God's presence was in this fire. In fact, it was so important that there was then an instruction to never let that fire go out, to let it burn consistently, and they had to never let it go out because it was a sign of God's presence being there. And then Jesus comes (laughs) in light. And we see him on the Mount of Transfiguration where you get a peek inside when he unveils himself just slightly and you get blinded by this glorious light of, of God wrapped up in flesh. And then he passes the baton to us and says, now you be light. And what's, what's, he, say? what's he say? The reason is? The reason he has to go. He's like, I'm going to pass this on to you, church. You guys are now going to be the light. Because it's better, it's better that I go now and why is it better that I go now because I'm going to send another this is what he says I'm going to send another and we know that to be the Holy Spirit so they wait for the Holy Spirit how does the Holy Spirit show up in fire fire that lands on the head of every believer did you know that you're the temple of the Holy Spirit that same fire which in millennia before came and lit the, the, the inside the original temple that was consecrated in Christ Christ goes and he says now you're the temple let me consecrate you with fire and a fire that will burn in you forever too does that not get you excited that's awesome isn't it we get to have that fire of God so that we are a light to this world it's not as I say and I want to keep repeating this because it's important it's not about moral superiority because you'll lose there are people I can tell you this okay confession I know there's people vastly morally superior to me who aren't Christians that maybe shocks you, sorry. <laughs> People are like, you shouldn't be preaching. Um, but it's true. But I don't get into heaven on my, on, my, on my checklist. I get into heaven because I've got a savior and I put my trust in him and say, let your blood count for me. I know I don't measure up. So it's never about moral superiority. It's about saying, I believe that God is real. I believe that he has our best interest. I believe that he wants you to have life and life to its fullness. And I also believe that he wants you to live with him for eternity. And so I have to point out the ways that aren't his ways because I want best for you. And when I point those out and you know you don't measure up and you know that your life isn't going to measure up, you also know that you need a savior, same as I do. Great. going to have a time of worship in just a minute some music and stuff time to have some ministry so I want to leave you with this and maybe we can come forward and have some prayer I don't know about you but this sort of stuff convicts me I know my life doesn't measure up in a lot of places at times in 2 Timothy 1.6 it says for this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God that is in you Friends, we need to have the spirit that has been given to us, this light inside us, fanned into flame from time to time. Perhaps you're sitting there and thinking, this all sounds great, but I'm not sure if I can be that. I'm not sure if I can lead that way. I don't know if I'm the right person. Am I close enough to God right now? As we have a time of worship, if you feel like you need that fire to be fanned into flame, and I see you come forward, and there'll be some leaders and in the church to pray for you and I'll, I'll pray with people as well and I want people to pray with me we need to be burning brightly there is darkness but the light has come 
and we are now children of the light and we're called to be a light to the world ourselves. Is that chorus, shine, Jesus, shine. It's wrong. Shine, church, shine. Jesus is sat at the right hand of the Father. He's called us to shine. It's a great chorus. I'm not knocking the chorus. You know what I mean? Shine, church, shine. That's you and me.